one of the things about entrepreneurship, there is no reward without the risk. Every great entrepreneur had help. And where is that help going to come from? It's going to come from that social network. You don't have to be smarter than everybody else to make money doing asset allocation and save. I think there's a danger when you're in business to find arrogance, and especially if you're doing really well. At the end of the day, I ain't nothing special. I'm just a guy. What has value? Well, what has value is whatever people say has value. I'm going to get better and better and better at what I do as I get older. So the best me is going to be the me right before I die. Hey family, welcome back to the Marketplace Podcast. I'm your host, Priest Willis, and today is episode number 125. We are joined again with Damon Brown. If you can remember, uh, we had Damon on a couple years ago to talk about his book, Bite Size Entrepreneur, and he's back with a new book called Bring Your Worth. Now, Damon helps non-traditional entrepreneurs bloom. He co-founded the app Cuddler, which we talk about. He led to its acquisition while caring for his infant son. Now, Damon helps others through coaching, his Inc. Magazine column, and public speaking at TED and other venues. Damon is really amazing at what he does in terms of pulling out the humanistic side approach to business. And within this new book, bring your worth. Damon is talking about bringing respect to the market more than just the value that people place on bank accounts, but the positive influence that you and I have in the world. And we bring a lot more than we think. A lot of us sometimes deal with imposter syndrome where we think nobody wants what we have. You'd be surprised the value that you bring to people if you just bring it out of you. So without further ado, here's my man, Damon Brown. Hey, Damon, welcome to the program, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a, a couple of years. So yeah, I'm excited. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, excited to have you on, of course. I mean, it has been a couple of years, although you and I, for complete transparency, are cool and we talk offline and all that good stuff. But Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you have so much rich information, man. We just decided to kind of put the band back together and make sure that we we get this out so others can can listen in and glean something from it. Thank you. Yeah. So so as you mentioned, you know, we've talked about some of the things that you were into. You wrote the Bite Size Entrepreneur. Uh, we talked about side hustling a couple years back or maybe even a few years back. Uh, but catch us up where you're at today. What What are some things that you're currently working on? How much has the bite-sized entrepreneur catapult you in other areas? I know that you came here locally uh, to North Carolina to speak at American Underground at one point. Mm -hmm. Let's just yeah. kind of catch the audience up on what you're currently working on. Yeah. And so um, really briefly, when you and I first connected, that was in 2016, I believe, 2017. Yeah. And I had just about a year, year, year or two before that. I became an entrepreneur at the exact same time that I became a stay-at-home dad. And not necessarily recommended, but it was a really good experience. <laughs> and I launched a, a small app called So Quotable, which captured people's quotes because my background is journalism. So if any of you are familiar with me, I've written a lot for Playboy, for the New York Post, for ARP Magazine, for a lot of different folks, mostly about how technology is bringing us together. Uh, and about five years ago, six years ago, I shifted over to the entrepreneurship side with this app called So Quotable. And um, 
with some of the stuff I talk about in the previous episode, which you got to go back like two years, I ended up becoming a solopreneur when I was not planning on it. I also became a solopreneur right when my wife went back to work and I was at home alone with our then three-month-old uh, kid. And so I ended up shifting my life and from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. was dedicated to him. And that meant that for the other 12 hours, I had to sleep, ideally shower, uh, spend time with my wife. <laughs> that was uh, optional. I, that was, that was absolutely, I mean, you, know, you have kids. That's <laughs> yeah, optional sometimes. Totally. But you got, got, to, got to take care of the kid. And what I did was I essentially, now they call it time shifting. There's a term for it now. But I shifted my, my business, which was still journalism and writing. I shifted it to the morning. And so I get, get up at 3.15 every morning and work for those three hours. And my son, like clockwork, would wake up at 6 a.m. And so I had a solid 15-hour uh, work week. And mm. within that work week, over the course of four to five months, I learned to program for the Apple programming language, which was called Coco Touch at the time. I won't get too much inside baseball on it, but it's, it was called Coco Touch. I learned to program that. I redesigned or designed the app. Um, I got it up and running and got it launched. And around that same time, I ended up talking with TED, the main conference, and they asked, asked me to do a TED Talk. And it launched a week before I did my first TED Talk. And so it ended up being this crazy amount of stuff. And I still had my, at that time when I did my TED Talk, my son was nine months old. And so it ended up being this crazy experience. That got me on the map. And a friend of a friend heard about my success with the app. He was working on an app called Cuddler, which connected people for hugs. And he was looking for someone to help launch it. And so he was working with another guy who was an artist. Uh, the main founder, uh, his name was Charlie Williams. He, uh, his background is programming. And so he needed someone to understand the media side. He knew I knew how to launch products. He knew I was a journalist. So we ended up connecting, worked over that summer of 2014. And I was like, guys, this could get really big because it's serving people in a particular way that they're not being served. And it's 2014, so this is the era of Tinder and Grindr and people hooking up, but it was strictly from a, again, hookup culture, where with Cuddler, we were trying to do something where it was platonic and really building intimacy with strangers, but again, in a platonic way. And we ended up launching uh, in September of that year. We became the number one app within a week. We were on the late night talk shows and getting teased out on the morning shows, how they usually, you know, skewer the news. We were the highlight. And we had 100,000 users within that first week and 10,000 completed cuddles. And so it ended up being this crazy, crazy experience. And again, I'm still a stay-at-home dad. So my kid was one at the time. And so with that experience, we ended up riding it all the way to the top. We were on the cover of the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. And then we ended up selling the app about a year later. And so I took all that experience and realized that after my time in Silicon Valley and after talking with other people, realized that the belief that you have to sacrifice everything to make your entrepreneurial mark, that's actually a myth. And I knew people who were a lot younger than me who didn't have kids who had burnt themselves out trying to get their app acquired, trying to get on the cover of the Wall Street Journal, trying to get on the cover of the Wall Street Times or the New York Times and so forth. And so that's where the Bite Size Entrepreneur came from. And so it essentially was me taking all this knowledge I, that I experienced and having a, a counterpoint to it because we have this culture where we want to just go hard. And I was like, you know what? Like, I, I got a wife. 
now I have two kids. My second kid same came shortly after I sold Cuddler. So it's like I got a wife, two kids, literally have a white picket fence in a house, and I still was able to have startup success. And so that was a bite-sized entrepreneur. That was the last time we talked. And that book became a bestseller and literally took me around the world. So I started doing talks, like you said, down in American Underground, your way down in Durham, Raleigh. I did talks all up and down the West Coast. I got down to Bogota, Colombia about a year ago and did a keynote down there. And now I'm starting to talk to people, not only from the keynote standpoint, but also from the one-on-one coaching. And so now I'm doing one-on-one coaching and I also launched a boot camp at BS bsbootcamp.com, Bites on Entrepreneur Bootcamp. And so launched that about a year ago. That did well. And also building an email community at joindamon.me. And I'm really about building that community of people who want to do amazing things within the context of their current life. So I don't have the philosophy that, you know, if you want to do a startup, then you shouldn't get married. You know, if you want to launch an amazing idea, that doesn't mean you have to be a bad father and not be around. You know, if you want to go ahead and make a dent in the universe or in the world, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to quit your day job or that, you know, or that you can't sleep anymore. Like those things, they're, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. They're not, you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. There are things you have to sacrifice, but I've been really working hard to work with people to help them, help them find different ways to do it. And that brings us to the new book. And so the new book is Bring Your Worth, uh, Level Up Your Creative Power, Value, and Service to the World. And the way that this book came about was really different because I planned on the, I'm kind of like Jay-Z with his first album, Reasonable Doubt. And I'm a big hip hop nerd, so <laughs> forgive me if you're not into hip hop. But with, with him, uh, the, the Japanese artist, I always screw up his name. But he's the creator of the popular um, Nintendo uh, role-playing game called Final Fantasy. That was called Final Fantasy back in 87, 88, because it was the last game he was going to do. Final Fantasy, I think 16 is about to come out. Like, it was the same type of thing where the Bites as Entrepreneur is basically me being like, hey, I entered the entrepreneurial space and all this crazy stuff happened. Let me put everything into this book. And it became a series, so the last one is the Ultimate Bites as Entrepreneur Trilogy, and it takes all three of the books in the trilogy and puts it into one. That book came out just over a year ago. So I was like, okay, great. I'm doing keynote talks. I'm starting to you know, coach people. I'm about to launch my boot camp. I'm good. This book has everything in there. And I started doing the keynotes, including some of the stuff at American Underground and other, other places, and people would have the book in their hands. And the book is very very uh, tactical. You know, so it's like, these are the things that you can do. This is how you can manage your time. This is how you can juggle your family and these things. This is how you can set priorities. And people will come up afterwards or during the Q&As, because I love the Q&As after my keynotes, the live ones. And they'd be like, okay, so do I have everything I need to start? And I'd be like, well, start what? And they'd be like, well, to start my thing. And they'd have my book in their hands or they already read the book and then they were coming to the keynote. And I was like, well, it's, it's in the book. And they're like, well, yeah, but am I ready to start? Mm. And I realized it had absolutely, right? So you see where I'm going? So it had absolutely nothing to do with the tools. It had to do with the mindset. Yeah, people are looking for permission on their own internal value. Like, is it okay for yes, me? Sir. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
you know, Damon, one of the things that I wanted to take people back on, and we're going to have the link to our previous episode uh, that we did several years ago. But, you know, just to be clear with people, I've wrote about Damon in articles that I've done. Damon is, as an entrepreneur, as somebody who is a manager, a leader, he's touched me in a lot of different ways. Um, one of them has been that he's the one person that I've talked to that has spoke about almost digesting the, the world of technology, but also bringing it to a humanistic view, which I truly appreciate because that's that's something I, that I stand it on. And then secondly, I was never a subscriber of you have to give up everything in order to be the success that you're looking for. And one of the things that before Damon and I spoke, I read a quote I won't say the guy's name, but he's a creator of an app called Pear, and he was on Planet of the Apps, which I think was a show at the time or something along those levels. And he says, his quote was, I rarely get to see my kids. That's a risk you have to take. And that there was something Ooh. that, yeah, there was something that ate away at my spirit when I heard that. And, and again, understanding the bite-sized entrepreneur, understanding that, you know, you can't let people's definitions of being an entrepreneur be labeled across you. And that that's why Damon, for me, is a special guest. He's the first one ever that we've ever brought back to talk about it because there's so much richness in the content that he's giving us. So Damon, this book is no different. Bring your worth here. So you are exactly right. And I see exactly where you're going about the people that are holding the book. They have the ABC one, two, three tools. But they're like, yeah, but it's it's me. It's almost like people, uh, and this is the first thing that I kind of wanted to go in a direction with you. I realized that a lot of people who are creators who want to go off and start something, there's so many self-help books, but everybody feels, a, I shouldn't say everybody, but there's a lot of people that feel a sense of imposter syndrome. It feels like, yeah, but that's that's Damon and Priest. That's not That's not me. How can it be me? This book is kind of cutting through that. Like it's no, it is you. There's nobody like you. In fact, we need you as a, a piece of this. Break that down f for us in terms of, you know, you you talked about in the book about gatekeepers, and there's really no yeah. gatekeepers with security. Talk to us about bringing our worth, bringing our legacy that's entirely separate from anyone else. Right. There's a few great quotes on that. Thank you for that quote, by the way. That that gave me chills. Yeah. Because I think about, you know, my my sons are um, almost three and six now, and I'm trying to picture <laughs> missing all that. So that's, 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 wow, that's, that's troubling. That's what I'm trying to push against. Yeah. It's some of the yeah. biggest bullshit that I've ever read. I mean, when I read it, I was like, Bull <laughs> bullshit. I mean, like, right. Yeah. That's a choice. It's, it's, it's a it choice. is a choice. Yeah. And we were it's in this hustle. That, that That's why, you know, I've said it before, but that's why people are suffering from depression, entrepreneurs and business owners and people who are trying to create they're suffering because on the one hand, they're taught to hustle, hustle, hustle. And then on the other hand, they're looking for work-life balance. That'll drive anybody nuts. So, and you also talk about this in your book. So I don't want to steal your thunder about living in your truth and looking in the eyes no, of, your time. No. Of, of a person and being able to see that, Hey, that person is living in their truth, but let, let's go back to the gatekeepers. What talk to me about that? Because when I read that, I thought of people that, you know, I have a dog and sometimes when I take my dog out, sometimes I might chain him up. Sometimes I might just let him go out and use the bathroom. But sometimes he just stands there thinking that I'm going to chain him up when I'm just actually letting him out. And I can see people are like that. When you let them out, you give them the tools. 
they just stand there because they're like, okay, what's next? Are you going to chain me up as a gatekeeper? Are you going to tell me what's next? And it's like, no, you now go do you. Right. There's an excellent, um, there's an ex- excellent study or experiment, I should say, that came out. And I think I learned about it through Seth Godin, who I referenced a couple times in the book. But I think it's called the, the flea experiment. And what they did was a scientist put fleas in a jar and the fleas kept on trying because, you know, fleas jump around. So they're trying to get out of the jar, but they put a lid on it. And so they, they locked up the jar and the fleas kept going up and hitting their, hitting their heads or whatever body parts on the, on the lid of the jar. And then after a day or two, the scientists just took the lid off and, and none of them came out. You know, it's, it's the same, same type of thing where totally right. Absolutely. So we have a certain mentality. We're like, we've been trained for this, you know, where we have a certain mentality based. I can't speak for other countries. I know America well, you know, but I can't speak for other countries, but at least here in America, we're trained where we're said, we're told, okay, well, if we do good and draw within the lines, then we're going to get a gold star. We'll get a pat in the back. We might get a hook and we might get an extra cookie. You know, that's kindergarten or whatever, you know, when, we're, um, and I know you've talked about this a lot lately, Priest, but when we're in high school, it's like, so what are you going to do? All right, so you're going to try to go to college, right? They're offering this stuff to you. You should mm-hmm. go to college because that's what the smart people do. You want to be this privileged too, right? Oh, Yale is accepting you? Well, that's awesome. Okay, well, that you must be part of the elite. You must be smarter mm-hmm. than everyone else. Don't worry about the $50,000 price tag. It's probably a lot higher now. I went to Northwestern myself, so I'm not even judging other people. It's just, you know, I know what the price tag was back then. You know, I'm not a young guy. So I remember what it was back then 20 years ago. But it's like, but but you have these certain standards. And if you end up being in a traditional structure, if you're like, let's say, 75, 80% of Americans, then you're going to go right up. You're not going to go off the off ramp of that. You're going to go to your college, maybe get your master's if you're lucky, if you want to call that lucky, and then you're going to go straight into a position. And then you could, frankly, be in that position for the rest of your life. And then you're looking at retirement. Uh, one of the things I talk about in, one of, the, in the, uh, one of the later chapters of Bring Your Worth is actually looking at where you are and how you got there. And that's actually the emphasis of the, of the last chapter. But to, to hone in on the, on the gatekeeper's aspect, the thing with the gatekeepers is that they're actually losing power and they've been losing power since well before you and I were born. We just, they, they just didn't notice that. And so the issues with say Napster two decades ago, that was a total power play. It had nothing to do with money. Mm-hmm. Gatekeepers want to be able to say, okay, this new Michael Jackson album is coming out. We're going to do the rollout. This is when, you know, the vinyl is going to come out. This is when the CD CD is going to come out. This is when the cassette tape, back in the day, but the cassette tape comes out and this is when we're going to have the video live on MTV. And then you had Napster and it's like, you can't control the music. Then you had YouTube and it's like, okay, well, we can't control the video rollout. Then you had Apple with iTunes. And it's like, wait, so now we need to think about the singles, but then people are picking the singles because they're only buying these particular songs. And so we're making this whole album and people are used to getting forced to buy the whole album. So we could have some garbage in there, frankly, you know, because people really want that single or they want this B-side that's available nowhere else. Well, we can't do that anymore. So people are able to cherry pick their lives, which isn't a bad thing, 
if you're a person. If you're a corporation or a gatekeeper, that's really bad. But now we're able to cherry pick our lives. Now we're able to create that framework. The thing is, and I'm not the only person saying this by any means. This is not my, this is not my genius idea. I'm just understanding the, the process right now. Now we have two different issues. Very briefly, which you talk about um, as, as far as me referring in the book, very briefly in the book, I talk about the gatekeepers. The only reason I mention the gatekeepers is to let you know that they don't have the power anymore. You do. Mm. That's it. The gatekeepers don't matter anymore. Bring Your Worth is self-published. So have been the last five books that I've written. I've, didn't, I've done six books in the last two and a half years. They're all self-published. There's a reason for that. Now, this is my 24th book. So that means almost a dozen and a half books before I did The Bite Size Entrepreneur two years ago. They were all with traditional publishers, from the small guys to the Penguins and the Barnes and Nobles. So I know the systems. And there's a reason why my stuff is being self-published now. And that's because I'm able to reach my audience, again, through joindamon.me. I'm talking to the people that this is for. You know, as far as with me getting my ideas out there, I don't need to get permission anymore. Mm. With, the, the, with the Bite Size Entrepreneur uh, two and a half years ago, and I talk about this in my keynote, you go, can go to Damon, damonbrown.net and check out my keynotes or go to joindamon.me and I'll actually email you the keynotes and some exclusive stuff. And in my main keynote, which actually is the inspiration for Bring Your Worth, I talk about how I actually tried to work with the traditional publishing industry with the Bite Size Entrepreneur, and it didn't work out. I won't get into details because that will take a little while, but it didn't work out. I ended up self-publishing it, and it became a bestseller. I self-published it within the course of a summer. If I went with a traditional publisher, you and I would just be talking about the Bite Size Entrepreneur now mm -hmm. because traditional publishing is built so that even for someone, I would be considered a veteran if this is like my 24th book, right? So even for someone like me that knows the system, just like the music industry, just like Netflix is di disrupting the TV industry, all those industries are very similar. They're used to setting their own particular pace because it's a control issue. I have no problem with that, but you need to recognize that. And so it would take another year and a half, maybe two years for the Bite Size Entrepreneur to come out. I've done six books in that period of time. And they've become bestsellers. I'd still be waiting for them to give me permission to get my voice out there. I've been doing keynotes all over the world. I'd still be waiting for them. And that really ended up being the impetus for this book where I'm like, you guys, you don't have to wait for them anymore. That, that, that legacy is done. Uh, that's definitely inspiring. And most people should start to realize that, you know, it's typically co the consumers that start pushing the change. So you brought up Napster and yes. for you young whippersnappers, that was the first essentially streaming <laughs> service before Tidal and all the way others, but they pushed the music industry and you're right. Gatekeepers try to stand in the way and said, well, what about the artist? And the artists were like, yeah, but we can, we can negotiate on this separately as well. I mean, you know, a lot of times we have to live in our truth, take the chance, leap out there. Sometimes you might ruffle a few feathers you know, but you, you have to do it. Well, you know, one thing that I brought up earlier, Damon, was about the imposter syndrome. So bring your worth is about understanding what your worth is. How do you cut through somebody that says, yeah, but I don't really have anything to bring. I mean, this new technology out, all you young 
people are coding and this and that. How how does somebody dive into their soul and figure out who they are to bring what they need to bring to the world, essentially? Absolutely. That's a great question. And so with Bring Your Worth, and it's right on the back of the book, I have three tenets. So three things. And I consider it a, like a three-legged stool. The three ways you can bring your worth to the world. The number one thing is to realize that everything is a partnership. And so if you're working with someone or something, it could be, you know, Sony Columbia. I think they still exist. Or maybe they're just called, just called Sony. But, you know, Sony Music. Or it could be, you know, you working with, you know, a music provider and a radio station down the street that has like a thousand listeners. Both of those are partnerships. Mm. Doesn't matter how big the offices are. Doesn't matter how much money they're flashing around. Doesn't matter how much staff they have or if they have like secretaries and administrative assistants and limos and all that. Doesn't matter. Just cut to the chase. As soon as you realize that, then you realize how much power you have. The second thing is don't wait for permission. And we already talked about that one a bit. And the third one, which I think is what you're really getting at, is you have a legacy. And so I talk about this quite a bit in the book where I've been a um, full-time freelance writer and journalist for going on a couple decades now. And we all have different attitudes and different perspectives. We, we're all small business owners. We handle our business different ways. And there's so many of us that believe that we're mercenaries, that we get hired, you know, to the highest bidder, we knock out an article or knock out a song or whatever it is of your creative independent endeavor, and then we move on to the next thing. We don't realize that we're creating a legacy or a pattern. And so if someone isn't sure where they belong now, then I think the most important thing is to value where you've been. And so to understand how you've been paid over the X number of years that you've been a professional, see if there's a pattern there. There's, I would argue that there's always a pattern there. In the book, I talk about my own pattern, which, which is so funny where I thought I understood my pattern and I started writing this book over the past year and I realized a whole different pattern. Mm. And I realized there's a history to what I do. And I won't get too deep into it. I know you already read the book, Priest, so mm -hmm. you understand. But I get deep into like my history and it gets into family and my work and why I understand my worth in a certain way. And realizing that there is, there are quite a few ways to connect the dots. And so I'd say the biggest thing to do is understand that you do have a legacy and to honor that. There's so many people that I, that I know and respect that think, you know, and we talked about this offline briefly, where it's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just a caretaker. Mm. You know, I'm just a stay at home dad. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm just a cook. I'm just a cook in the kitchen. I just, I just cook stuff. Oh, I'm just an Uber driver. That's what I do. I just drive around and pick people up. It's like, well, no, no, that's not the case. In the um, in the you have your legacy chapter, I, I open up with uh, um, with a quote from uh, Marianne Williamson, who's uh, a spiritual teacher I've been really into recently. And sh what she says to paraphrase it, it's a pretty long quote, but to paraphrase it is, she says that whatever you do is your ministry. Now, she doesn't mean that from a religious standpoint, or at mm -hmm. least in my interpretation. I didn't take it like that, mm -hmm. but, you know, because I'm not really a religious guy. So I didn't take it as a religious thing, but more like your ministry as far as it being your pulpit, like how you do things. With me being a public speaker, my main focus is having the one-on-one -on -one connection to people and helping people realize and give themselves permission. 
if someone like Gary V is on stage, Gary Vanderchuk is on stage, and he's a keynote speaker, his ministry, his pulpit's going to be the probably the exact opposite of mine. Mm-hmm. If you have a um, a Grant Card- Cardone and he's on the stage, and I just recently saw one of his videos online, he's really into money, so he's like, "You better get your money." And it's like, and that's that's his energy, that's the motivation, which is cool. Like that's his vibe, and all those things are a little bit different. I think the important thing is is not what you actually do, but why you're actually doing it. Um, there's an excellent uh, quote from. Daniel Goleman, who's the essentially the, the grandfather of emotional intelligence, and he rec- recalled a story recently in an interview I was listening to where his definition of emotional intelligence, so the first time he recognized it, was when it was like a really hot day, I think on the East Coast. It's either really hot or really cold, but either extreme. And everyone was waiting on the bus. And they were getting on the bus, and the bus driver was looking everyone dead in the eye and saying, hey, how are you doing today? What's going on? And talked to every single person. And he could see how people were being recognized. And and he was basically saying, I see you, and I know you're uncomfortable, mm. but this is you're, – you're home now. You can chill out. Until the next stop, you're fine. Just take a load off. I care about you and your comfort, and I'm going to get you there safely. Mm. He didn't say all that, but by him being fully present, which I talk about in the book too, by him being fully present, it said that. he turned that bus. Yeah, he turned that bus into whatever. When I think of a young person, so I think of my son, for example, he'll be 24 next month. Of course, mm-hmm. he has me, but and he has family is what I'm getting to when I say me. But when they look at those three points that you have, everything is partnership, don't wait for permission, you have legacy, how would you when there's no historical data to, to back up because he's still just 23, 24 people are young. They're just getting into the workforce. They have their home, but they don't necessarily have this network yet of people. They don't have a tribe built out necessarily. And they don't, they still don't know whether they have permission because some of the youngest people are the ones that deal with the imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome, meaning do I belong here? I mean, I graduated, but am I smart enough? And then the legacy, a lot of them aren't even thinking about legacy, and that's not to short sight them. I know I wasn't. How do you how do you take something like these three points down and tactically drill it down so it's digestible for them as they as they go out into the workforce? That's a really good question. And I'm thinking back to when I was twenty four and yeah. having a I was actually twenty two when I was struggling with those kind of questions. Um, so I, I remember that year specifically. So I think everyone kind of asked a different, I'm like, that was, that was a strange year. Cause I didn't know what the heck I was doing. That's and right. I think, I think the, it comes down to those, those three pillars. So everything is a partnership. The only way you understand that is by doing it. Like, like there is no, I could talk about it till I'm blue in the face. You could talk about it as his father, you know, the rest of your family can talk about it to him. It doesn't matter. He just has to do it. I'm actually envious of your son's generation. I'm envious of, of my son's generations too. And they're, they're quite a bit younger, but I'm really envious of them because the amount of partnerships and creations they can do is astounding. When I did Cuddler, us three co-founders, we were in three different countries and two different continents. 
So mm -hmm. I was I was in Southern California, obviously in America. Our artist was based in Montreal, so that's up in Canada. And then the most active co-founder and essentially our leader, Charlie Williams, he was uh, based in the UK. And that fed well into my early lifestyle because we'd have meetings at four in the morning, my time, and then it'll be lunchtime, his time. And But that was 2014. Like we were doing that in 2014. Mm. And we're all around the same age group, you know, so we're we're not spring chickens. Imagine what your son can do. Mm. Like imagine that. Imagine the partnerships he could have. We didn't even know what the heck we were doing. He was born into this. When he was born, the internet was alive and active. When I was born, there were typewriters and teletype. <laughs> you, know but you know what's ironic, you know, though? When I, read a, yeah. I read a piece in your book where you talked about the entrepreneur, though. I think his name was Jason, that read Jason the newspaper. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that read the newspaper just to kind of capture the moment rather than being vacillated between all these different stories and information. There's something to be said for that generation, though, taking a step back. Because, you know, in one sense, I remember my father used to have, have this weird quote with me. He would say this to me, boy, the more I teach you, the dumber I get. And I'd be like, hey, wait a minute. That's not necessarily a, a compliment, right? But And it seems like the most. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, a, that's some dad words right there. That, uh... that, that is a dad word for real. Absolutely. And it, the. The same can be said for the world. The more people know, it's almost like the dumber people are in some sense, right? Yeah. And so I really like the concept of getting the newspaper because there was a time where you and I would get the newspaper. We were we were captured in that those stories. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should go back to newspapers and be ignorant of what's happening in the world. We have a lot more insight. Things are being – it's different. I totally get it. But there is something to be said to being captured in that moment and taking in that moment. And and I think about that when I was 24. I mean, on the one side, yeah, I wish, you know, I'm slightly envious too, where I'm like, man, you know, it's kind of like Dr. Seuss, all oh, the places you guys right. are going to go. But then on the flip side, it's like, oh, but how is that going to look? Because well, I think that's the thing. Sometimes yeah, if I, I could jump the, in. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that. I think it's the challenge for your son's generation, and I, that might be a challenge for my sons. I don't know yet because uh, we don't know much about their generation yet. But I think it might be that there's too much stuff to do, and they're not sure where to start. And that's why I say mm -hmm. everything is a partnership. With Bring Your Worth, it was edited by a longtime colleague and friend of mine. The cover is done by an independent artist. I'm taking care of all of them. So it's a total independent operation. All those are partnerships. That's on purpose. Like I can mess around with Photoshop mm -hmm. and maybe come up with a cover and slap it on there. I'm not a bad editor. So, you know, I'm, I might be able to, you know, good writers never edit their own stuff. It's like a lawyer never representing him or herself. Like it's the same thing. But if I really want to do it, you know, then I could have just did it. But that was on purpose where it's like, I want to build these partnerships. If I eat, I want other people to eat too, you know, and starting mm. that process early, I think is the thing, because I think people, the challenge today, and your son might have this challenge or might be a generational thing. The challenge today is that you can do everything on your own and you can do everything really sloppy if you want. If you want to publish a book right now, you can throw it on the internet by this evening. Done. I can show you how to do it. Right. It'll take 15 minutes. Done. But do you know who your audience is? Has it been proofread? 
do you have a cover? Do you actually know where you want the book to go? What are your intentions of the book? All these different things that we have to force ourselves to go through. If we build partnerships, though, then we have other people in our corner and we have the ability to build more. And I think that might be one of the biggest challenges with your son's generation is that you can go it alone. When I first started writing books, I couldn't go it alone. Amazon was a baby when I first started writing books, you know, 15 years ago. They didn't have Kindle. You know, it was, it was a different world, you know, and so I didn't have a choice but to go and get a literary agent and fly back and forth to New York and then have, you know, the martini lunches and stuff and then meet with editors and all that stuff. Like I did all that. But the beautiful part is that I learned to build those partnerships and not to go out alone. I want to thank today's sponsor, Bloom. Do you guys have a 401k of some kind? You're always wondering if you have the right investments, if you're picking the right thing and you're just not fully sure. Well, Bloom with three O's, B-L-O-O-O-M, does free analysis of your current employee-sponsored retirement plan. You get to understand your investments at a glance and uncover unnecessary hidden fees. Then you put them to work. You put Bloom to work with your account for $10 a month and they'll essentially fix your 401k by optimizing your fund choices and minimizing those hidden fees. And then at that point, you just sit back and let them do what they're going to do. Now, I found out about Bloom because of David Stein. I was listening to the podcast Money for the Rest of Us, and he mentioned Bloom. And I just wanted to check to see if I was picking the right investments. And I wasn't that far off. There was a few tweaks. But the concept itself of Bloom is amazing. Go in today's podcast notes and check it out for yourself. Bloom, B-L-O-O-M, for your 401k analysis. Let's get back to the show. I've seen this amazing quote by Jack Ma. Yeah. That Well, it wasn't necessarily a quote. I think he was speaking in front of a global audience of some kind. And he kind of tells people, hey, between your 20s and 30s, that's a great time to go work for somebody else. Not not to say that you can't do nothing at night, but you get like a free knowledge download when you go work for somebody else. And you can sometimes make mistakes when you're doing it on their time, on their dime. Absolutely. Um, and you can learn how to so glean all the business you can during that period between your 30s and 40s. Those are the opportunities that you start going out and building on your own. And between your 40s and 50s, that's when you start doing what you do best. So between your 40s and 50s, you no longer should be necessarily running after every shiny thing. You need to stay in your lane and your gain will be in your lane. And then between your 50s and 60s is when you start giving back. I thought that was pretty amazing. Now everybody's like, hey, wait a minute, I'm 51. I, I'm, I don't feel like I'm there yet. And that's it's not for everybody. I'm just saying that when you encapsulize this discussion that we're having here, you have to think about, Hey, stop being 23 and think you have to go out and rule the world, but at least have a plan to know I need to get into the world. And the only way you start creating and having connections that you're talking about is maybe by being in the workforce, meeting other people, finding common bond between them and say, hey, we should start a nap together or let's grab coffee. Let's talk more about that instead of isolating yourself away on video games and stuff like that. And then in your thirties and forties, you start playing with stuff. So that's why I enjoy this book because I can literally take Jack Ma's everything. I just told you, take these book principles 
and slot that right in there and it works so cohesively. Thank you. I mean, there's some of the there's some of the principles I wish I would have took. Like when I was 20, my dad manufactured this scare in me. I mean, he was all about education. He was all about finding your thing. And when I was still like 24, I was like, but I I really don't know who I am. And I wish it, somebody was there to be like, no, no, that that's okay, dude. But at least keep moving forward. Don't don't go back. Move forward. But it's okay that you don't know who you are you are yet. I think that's a really good point of it. Yeah. And if I can add on to that, I think the the Jack Ma's argument, particularly in his case, like he really blossomed when he was in his forties and fifties, right? I mean yeah, exactly. talking about you know, one of the richest men in the world, if you want to use that as a as a metric. But but I think that's the thing is giving giving permission to do that and giving yourself permission to do that, but building those things while, while you can. That's why I'm like a really big proponent of travel. And I travel my butt off in my 20s and I still travel a lot. But of course, me traveling now isn't quite as realistic. I mean, I have a wonderful wife and I have two young boys, you know, and like I said, I have a house and other things like I'm not necessarily jet setting. Because it's not, it's not cohesive to my life right now. Now, in the direction I'm going, it will be, but not right now. But I can go ahead. My wife and I can both look at each other and be like, wow, we, we saw a lot. You know, we saw a lot. But that's the thing is that when I launched Cuddler and when I watched, launched So Quotable, and even with the Bite Size Entrepreneur, me being able to say, you know, when I had the keynote down in Bogota, uh, Colombia, about a year ago, I'd already been to Colombia. So it's like, so I already knew the vibe there. So when I came there and they had a conference on entrepreneurship, I'm like, oh, okay, I remember where it was several years ago. It's at a different place. Mm-hmm. So even me just taking that simple step of traveling, it will be like me taking that simple step of um, back in high school, me trying to do partnerships with my friends. All that energy and the stuff that I learned and the ways that I got burnt back when I was 16 or 17, those things came in handy a decade or two later when I was doing Cuddler. Like those I have a quote in there where I say there's no such thing as wasted time. And it's true. Like, I believe that. And so even if you're someone that's your son's age or someone that's, you know, in their 20s or whatever, goes and says, you know what, we're going to start an online radio station. And it's only going to play 90s hip hop from the period of time when we were born, only from 1993. And we're going to make it a subscription service and people will pay a penny per month. And that's Mm. and then we're going to do our thing and we're just going to do it. That, that mm-hmm. Actually, that sounds really fun. But, but if someone were to do that, <laughs> imagine the stuff you'd learn, even if it went down in flames. Who cares? You, don't, you have the minimum risk. One of my favorite um, motivational speakers is Jim Rohn, and he actually passed away like 10 years ago. So I didn't get into him until like five years ago. So I really missed it. And that, that makes me sad. But he has a ton of recordings online. I mentioned him quite a bit in the book. And I have my ink column at uh, inkdamonbrown.com, and I'll mention him in the column about one or, two, one or two times a year. But he has this great quote, which I paraphrase in The Ultimate Bites as Entrepreneur, and I mentioned briefly again in Bring Your Worth, where it's like, how can you wish for a million dollars if you don't know where the $5 in your pocket went? Mm. And it's, it's the same argument where it's like, if, you want, if you're 20, 24, let's say, or 20, let's say you're 25, and you want to be doing amazing partnerships. You want to do things without waiting for permission. And you want to respect the legacy that you have when you're, say, 50. Then is that going to magically happen when you turn 50? No. 
No. And then will you have more to risk when you turn 50? Absolutely. Because even if you don't have a family, you know, wife and kids or whatever you're into, even if you don't have a house, even if you don't have the overhead, you still have, have less life left. Let's just be blunt about it, mm. which I talk about in the book as well, where when you're 50, you know, you're almost halfway, you're about halfway done, probably more than that, depending on your age. So if there's a time when you want to experiment, when you want to try to build partnerships, when you want to jump off a cliff and see if you fly, you want to do it early. Like you don't, you don't want to do it late. And there's no advantage to doing it later anyway. You might think there's an advantage when you're younger, but there really isn't. We don't know, you know, priests at our age, we don't know much more than we did in our 20s. <laughs> Aside from, at least I can speak for myself. I won't, I won't, just, I won't judge just, you like that. No, no, that. just, just but... don't tell my kids. <laughs> I got my kids believing I'm really, yeah, right, I'm exactly. really smart. They think I'm, I'm all over it. Yeah, my, my kids are a little bit too young to, to listen to podcasts regularly. But like 10 years from now, they're going to be listening to this and be like, yeah, of course, we knew that, Dad. Um, but, you know, it's the same thing where it's like the knowledge that I have now is based on the lumps and the wins and the crazy stuff that I did in my 20s and 30s. Like, that's where it's from. It's not, it's not like magically, you know, because I'm in my 40s. It's not like when I turned 40, it was like I got a knowledge download. It's like, no, it's, it's, from, it's from experimenting. It's from trying. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you for sure, if I didn't, I had great mentors that gave me permission until I could give myself permission. Mm. You know, and as I talk about in the book, I can't take full credit for that. You know, so I had good, good leadership around me. I had good mentors. And they were like, they're like, yo, like you have this great idea. What, what are you waiting for? And my way as far as serving is to give back through that way. That's what bring your worth is. And the forward to, to bring your worth, I say that bring your worth is my live album, you know, compared to the bites of an entrepreneur being the studio sessions, you know, so to not to torture the music analogies too much, but it's that thing where you have something that's very like, manicured and it was inspired by the columns that I did for Inc, you know, with the Bites of the Entrepreneur. So, you know, it had been edited and it was for mainstream consumption and it's bite-sized and digestible. And, you know, it's a very curated thing, mm -hmm. which I think it's, it became a bestseller. I'm very proud of the book. I still want people to grab it. I think there's a lot people get from it. Bring your worth. It's like me and you having a drink mm -hmm. and being like, listen, we, we need to have a talk. You know, it's like, I already did this book that has all the tools I believe you need to get your stuff off the ground and you're not doing it. So let's talk about why, why you might have these roadblocks. Let's have a real conversation and trying to bring that energy there. You yeah. Know? And that's kind of how, you know, the reason why I think we both talked about having this following up podcast, because we did for the Bite Size Entrepreneur, we talked very tactically about how you approach side hustles, how we looked at the hustle mentality and all that stuff. But yeah, this is addressing those people, as you pointed out, that get in line and say, great, I read that. Now, what do I do next? And it's like, hey, there's some really richness inside of you that I I don't even know right now, but you need to start tapping into who that is underneath and don't look around you because the biggest mistake I think we have and I think I alluded to this one time before was the disease that's known as comparisonitis, 
That's where we mm. start looking on Instagram, looking at people with their laptops and a Starbucks cup next to it and saying, living my best life, hashtag. And really, they're not. You're, you're kind of, you're trying to mimic your life off of someone's highlight reel. And it, it's, it's almost impossible to do. So the best thing you can do is figure out who you are. And sometimes the other side of that is knowing who you're not. I mean, I remember I used to get around a group of guys and they used to talk about, yeah, you see that engine? I like that BMW and this and that. And I used to be like, yeah, I love the BMW and this and that. I could care less about cars to this day. It just, I don't, I don't care what I drive. My wife and I have a Nissan Rogue and a Kia Sorento and I, <laughs> the, Kia, <laughs> the Kia Sorento is mine. The Nissan Rogue is hers. We got a newer truck and that became hers. And I just don't care and never have ever since I was a kid. And I used to play it off like I did just to be a part of something. And you find yourself in a tribe where you're unhappy because you you totally took away from who you are. And the truth of the matter is, Damon, when I read this book, I always thought of, yeah, this this totally makes sense. Because if you're just being a copycat, if we have the original out there, why do we need you? The the whole point of this, I mean, you you see this a lot of times, and I'm going to speak culturally here, where a lot of times black folks will get around white people and they tend to lose themselves and talk like the group and and try to try to find some common ground so they almost lose themselves. Hey, dude, the reason why they brought you in the group was because you had a unique thought process. You were totally different. You spoke different. They they want you around because your approach is different, not because they wanted another them. Well, that's exactly yeah. right. And I think the, the, yeah, to jump in, like that's, I think that's the challenge. And I might've written about this, but it's definitely alluded to in Bring Your Worth. But I've experienced this personally where having opportunities to join organizations or to partner up. And the first discussion is about how I could be more like them. Hmm. And it's like, that's not, I, you know, I like the comparison to dating. What's the old saying go? It's like, wow, I love you. I like everything about you. Now change. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and it's, but, you know, we've all, all had those moments being on the recipient end or, or being on the giving end of that. But it's that thing where it's like the very thing that caught your attention about me is the very thing you're trying to erase, whether it's conscious or not. Mm. And I talk about that part in Bring Your Worth as far as having that abuse of power, because that's where the gatekeepers come in. That's where, frankly, let's be real about it, even the audiences and people that are so-called supporters come in. Like Bring Your Worth has a different vibe than the Bites as Entrepreneur. And not everyone who liked the Bites as Entrepreneur is going to like Bring Your Worth. Mm -hmm. But this is the direction that I'm supposed to go in. And I had to accept that when I was working on this last year, where I was like, well, I could do, you know, the next bite-sized entrepreneur, but I'm like, no, this isn't, this, this might not be what, what everyone wants, but for the people that are really about that, this is what they need right now. And if my focus is on serving, then it has to be on serving. But that also means, taking it back to what you were talking about, that sometimes means severing relationships. That sometimes means, as I refer to with Brene Brown, that sometimes means uh, braving the wilderness. And the only voice that you hear is your own. And I get into that in the book as far as finding ways to nourish that. And I think when we hear 
when the only voice we hear is our own, it scares us because we don't have the cheering in the background. We don't have, you know, all the likes on Instagram, you know, or whatever your preferred platform. We don't have necessarily the money in the bank like that that becomes the measuring stick. The only measuring stick we have is our own internal metric. But I argue that that's the very time you find out what your true essence is. Those questions as far as how do you make everything a partnership? How do you do things without waiting for permission? How do you know and how do you actually find your legacy? The answer to all three of those things is to get silent mm. because no one else is going to tell you that. I, I can't tell you what your legacy is. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't tell you how to make a good partnership because you're the one making the partnerships. You're the one that are, that's establishing those rules. You know, I can't tell you how to not wait for permission because you're the only one that can give yourself permission. Other people don't even have that power. And once you start to recognize those things, then that voice becomes stronger. And the stronger that voice is, the easier it is to follow that particular path. And I've been really fortunate in that this book is like, dead center in my path mm. where I, again, like I said, this was going to be the bite-sized entrepreneur was going to be my reasonable doubt, my final fantasy. I was like, seriously, like you can, you can ask anyone around me, you know, who knew like my business plan. It was like, okay, there's a book. I'm going to do keynotes related to, and I'm going to maybe have some coaching opportunities. I'll do the boot camp, Great. And maybe I'll do another book, but it'll be in a totally different direction. It won't be related to this at all. Like, that's what I was saying for years, for the last two years. And then this past year ended up being a quiet period of time where I ended up getting more coaching clients and I listened to the questions they had. I launched the boot camp, and then people were really giving me feedback. Again, I really built up my email community at joindamon.me, and I was starting to get feedback from them. And it was like hundreds of people giving me feedback. And I was like, oh, okay, there's more to it here. And this actually was not going to be a book. It was going to be, I don't know what. And then, yeah, it pulled me and it was like, no, nope, there's another book. This is what it's supposed to be. What, what do you think about um, mentors and masterminds? I know you talked about it a little bit earlier, you know, how mentors supported you through times when you were looking for yourself. What do you, what do you think today about um, younger or older? doesn't matter. Just in general, having mentors and masterminds and, and kind of throwing yourself in tribes. Yeah, I, I love that idea. Um, I think it really depends on your personality. For me, I've been strongly connected to two organizations, the American Society for Journalists and Authors. And I was part of the board there for several years. So I was part of the leadership too. And it's an organization that I've been involved with for about 15 or 16 years. So they're ASJA.org. And they've been super supportive. I've been supportive of them, volunteering time, et cetera, obviously. And then the other one is TED. So they do the TED conference and being involved with them in some capacity as a speaker, as an attendee. And even I did a book with them called Our Virtual Shadow, Why We're Obsessed with Documenting Our Lives Online. And that came out in 2013. So I've even published with them. And that was, I've been working with them and being supportive of them for like eight years now. I'm going to the next TED conference in a few months. Those two organizations really speak to me. I've been involved with a lot of other organizations and I'm not involved with them anymore. And it's not as a diss, it's not as they're not good organizations, it's just they don't resonate with me like that. And so I think that's the thing is to get involved and you find out. 
for some folks, going to Toastmasters really works for them. I have some relatives that are really deep into Toastmasters. For me, it didn't resonate like that, but TED did. You know, and some of my mentors are major TED speakers. Like I talk to them regularly. And that, that resonated with me for, for whatever reason, that combination of, you know, technology, education and design with Ted, like mm. I'm on it. Mm-hmm. Got it. You know, that's, that's me. Same thing with ASJA. If the, if those didn't resonate with me anymore, then I wouldn't be involved anymore. You know, so I think it's as simple as that. Um, another thing I talk about in the Bites as Entrepreneur, the first book is, um, creating something called a brain trust. And that's kind of like a think tank Washington DC idea. But I love the concept of you having people around you who know what your goals are, care about you enough to help you reach your goals and are honest enough to be real with you. And I have a brain trust of, I'd say, regularly between six and 12 people over the past couple of decades. And a lot of them are consistent. They know what's going on. They've seen my ups and downs. I even got an idea from you. You have a on your calendar, I think you call it 20 for 20. And it's like, hey, let's 2020, 2020 yes, where it's like, yeah, I'm thinking of 30 for 30, some ESPN documentary. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a great series. <laughs> it is, I'm not even into it sports, is, but I love that series. It is a really good one. But go on. So 2020 kind of says, hey, give me a chance to talk about my visions, goals, blah, blah, blah. And then you do the same for yours or vice versa, however you want to start it off. I set the same kind of appointment up in my calendar where people are like, hey, Priest, I want some advice on this or I want to talk about this. And now I have this 2020 thing where I'm kind of saying, great, let's let's kind of, you know, iron sharpens iron. Let's do that together. So that's right. Yeah, that's I love it. Yeah. To get meta on you for a second. I got that from a mentor slash friend named Jenny Blake who has a book called pivot and she has the pivot podcast mm. and she became, she was a keynote speaker at the ASGA conference a couple of years ago. And she gave me a big up because she's all about doing bite-sized things and side hustles and all that. And so she heard about the bites as entrepreneur. Now keep in mind the bites as entrepreneur was independently published. So I got some good media on it, but she heard about it. And so we became fast friends and I really admire the direction she's going. And so I learned from her about, she called them 3030s. I call them 2020s, but I give her, I big up her in um, in the original uh, Bites as Entrepreneur. And I also did an ink column about the whole discussion, but that came from her. So if it wasn't for her, then I wouldn't even have that in my vocabulary. Mm. But that's a good example where, again, back to the partnership. And that happened a lot more recently because, and I'm sure you experienced this, Priest, the more notoriety you get, and I put that in air quotes, the more notoriety you get, the more opportunity there is for other people to really respect what you have to say and be really eager to get information or feedback from you. Totally. And the thing is, the thing is, is that I forgot who said this, but someone said that everyone has something to give someone else. So I've had 2020s where I've talked with people and they're really interested in learning about more what what I do or about the book or trying to figure out their writing or whatever their thing is. And I'm like, cool, let's do a 2020. And they'll literally say, well, I don't have anything to offer. And I'm like, well, that's that's not up to you to decide that. Mm. You don't know what I need. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's be blunt about it. Like, you don't know what I need. So it's like, so let's 
if you want to do this call, cool, but this is the framework that I use for all my calls. And I've talked to some people who, who've done major things and we're setting up like a 2020 because I don't know what I can do for them. Mm. But again, it goes back to the partnership. Again, it goes back to the permission part, of course, you know, because then I'm not waiting for someone else to give me permission to help them. Right. And then the third part is, you know, understanding that I have a legacy that's different than theirs. And my, my voice is unique. One of my favorite sentences in Bring Your Worth is that uh, you don't have an understudy. Mm. There is no understudy for you, mm -hmm. right? If you want to go back to theater talk, where it's like, there is no, there is no extra priest Willis senior hanging out somewhere. So if you stop doing your thing, it's not like someone's going to come and replace you. <laughs> right. So your job, right? So your job is to, is to give and give and give to serve. Because there is no replacement for you. It's like saying there's another sun for the earth. It's like, well, no, there's only one. If the sun decides not to show up tomorrow, there's not like another one's going to pop up. Mm. It's irreplaceable. And so I think with the 2020 thing, it's really putting that into practice and saying, you know, I could be having a 2020 with Beyonce, which would be great. But I might be able to do something for her as much as she might be able to do something for me. Mm. And it has nothing to do with stature, money, none of that. And that's what I'm really trying to drill home with Bring Your Worth, where it's like, you know, you, you got the keys as much as anyone else. Yeah, you know? I, I love it because as we talked about mentors and looking for people to connect with and all that good stuff, you know, that's, you're right. As we, you and I start to get more out there, we're speaking at events. Uh, obviously, you know, we're, we have content all over the place. More people start to glom onto that. And there there's a part of you that wants to help everybody, but there is slices of time that we can peel out and help others. And along the way, you probably can get some input from somebody else that they didn't think they had to offer you even being at the certain level. And I'm putting in air quotes level that they think you're at. So, sure. it, you know, as we summate the conversation here, Damon read the book again. I, I, I think it's a phenomenal writing in terms of just putting it very practically about how I should be approaching my worth in the world not just for money, but just my overall purpose as it applies to business and other places. But when somebody walks away from this book, what is it really that you want them to walk away and see about themselves? And how do you want them to apply that? That's a really good question. Understanding that every single one of us, even you, has a particular purpose. The thing is that, is that you have to get quiet enough to discover that purpose. And that purpose might be to just motivate other people. That purpose might be something else. That purpose might be very personal and about your image and your idea. And, and that's okay. So you really have to discover your why. Why do you want to do a particular thing? Why do you want to go in a particular direction? And understanding and bringing your worth to the table, you'll be able to elevate the type of relationships you have, the dynamics you have, whether you're working at a traditional job or you're independent like myself. If you bring your worth to the table, you're able to bring in money in a certain way that you could not because you're not trying to be the next Priest Willis. You're not trying to be the next Damon Brown. You're trying to be the next you. And understanding that there is no competition if you get quiet enough to listen to the direction you're supposed to go. And lastly, understanding that you're building a legacy with the things that you're creating in the world. Again, back to 
Daniel Goleman's bus driver story. Like he's a bus driver, but he's impacting the world. Everyone has the ability to make an impact like that. And so it's less about the job title and more about, again, with Marianne Williamson, turning what you do into your ministry, using that to make an impact on the world. There's so many great people that I've met and that I've talked with that are frustrated because the bank account doesn't quite line up or people aren't quite respecting what they do as far as with the partnerships they have. Their their boss doesn't respect them. Their partner in this business venture doesn't respect them. Or they end up being frustrated because they want to make this massive impact on the world and they're not exactly sure how. And the book really breaks it down into three simple chapters to say, if you focus on these three legs, then you'll be able to build a career that will last much longer. Your impact will last much longer than when you're even, you could be dead and gone and you still be, your impact will still be vibrating through the world. And so breaking it down into, into these three things, I really want people to stop, take a breath and figure out what exactly and why exactly they do what they do. And that's something that I think, particularly in America, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but particularly in America, we're so afraid of stopping. We're so afraid of pausing. We're afraid we're going to get run over. We're afraid the hamster wheel is going to keep spinning and we're going to hurt ourselves. We're afraid that the engine's going to stop and not start again. But it, actually, the opposite is true. The opposite is true. If you keep pushing yourself, if you get yourself to the point of burnout, if you keep doing what you're doing and don't think about why you're doing it, that's really where the danger is. There is no danger in pausing and taking 15 minutes out of the day to think about why exactly am I doing this? How exactly did I get here? Why does my bank account not reflect this or that? And for me, I can talk about it because I've been in all three of those situations. In fact, I'm still going through some of those situations because it's not just do this x equals y type of thing but it's a constant thing five six seven years ago i was not an entrepreneur five six seven years ago i wasn't a dad mm. you know like my life was completely different so even so this is stuff that i'm putting into practice as we speak i don't know if you got a chance to get into the conclusion chapter but I, like i was talking about some heavy stuff there and being as real as possible and being like, look, I'm still challenge having a challenge with this too. I'm still having a tough time with this. And that's because I'm really interested in growing. And if you're interested in growing, then this three-legged stool will be a constant development for you. And my intention with my community, with my books, with me as a father and so forth, they're different than they were a year ago. And they're definitely different than they were two years ago when you and I last talked. And so really giving people a toolkit and being as honest as possible with my own life as well and saying, listen, these are the three legs. Our job is to keep these legs balanced. This is how you do it. And the earlier you start this process, the earlier you'll be able to serve the world in this high level that you really desire. That's good stuff, man. Hey, Damon, so, you know, you've been gracious, man. This is good information. I'll definitely have on the podcast page our link to our previous uh, interview so people can kind of get caught up with that. And then, you know, in terms of the book, tell people how they can reach out to you, connect with you, purchase the book, so forth and so on. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And so the best source for the book is bringyourworth.com. 
depending on when you hear this, it'll be either in pre-order stage, which if you pre-order, then you'll be able to get a little bonus from me. Or if it's after the book comes out, which is February 7th, 2019, then you'll be able to, to grab the book. It also will be available at your favorite booksellers, particularly Amazon. It'll be available through there. So if you go to bringyourworth.com, you can get that. I actually have a trailer for the book, a few trailers. I got some other stuff going on that'll be out by the time you hear this. But I got a, a book trailer going on. You can go to damonbrown.net to hear about that. And if you want to learn about the Bites of Entrepreneur, my column with Inc., and all the fun stuff that's going on, I have a newsletter that I send out every other week. And it's at joindamon.me. It's an opportunity to have one-on-one coaching with me. It's an opportunity to get some free goodies. It's also an opportunity to know where I'm going to be next. Kind of like Priest, I do my share of traveling. So I'm popping up at venues here and there doing my speaking. I love the one-on-one interactions. That's the main reason why I speak. It's not even to, to be on the stage. It's not even to do all that stuff. It's like I love the one-on-one interactions. Like I'm the, I'm the Q&A guy where... I will sit there with a Q&A for like two hours after I do a 45-minute talk. And so that really is close to my heart. Joindamon.me is the best way to do that. I also have a special message and, and um, regular discussions that I have on there that I don't do anywhere else. Um, if you're into social media, you can reach me at Brown Damon on all the major platforms. And Twitter and Instagram are my main platforms. Cool stuff, Damon. Thank you so much for being a part of the show again, man. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Priest. Hey guys, hope you got something out of today's podcast. Damon is awesome. He's always great to speak with and just sit back. Um, As you can imagine, him and I can just have a couple drinks and sit back and talk about life and pontificate about things. I really enjoyed having him on. Hopefully you were inspired by this in terms of bringing your worth that you're no longer thinking that you have to have uh, some kind of tool or be the coder. You're not an Instagram influencer know just the way you are is what this world needs we need you being who you are right now hopefully you got something from that guys look always i would love your feedback on itunes you don't know how much that begins to help us it provides feedback for us to continue to come back and put out these podcast episodes or wherever you're listening to our episode whether it's stitcher radio google play email us email me priest at inside the I'm happy to help. Always want to connect with you in some way. Like to touch the people that are listening to these episodes. And until next Sunday, when we listen to a new guest, I'll talk to you then. Have a good week. I'm the best ever. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. (laughs) 